Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to part one of the interview that I had with Edgar Fox. Just wanted to uh, apologize in advance. Uh, there is a little bit of a metallic clicking noise coming from Edgar's uh, side. We tried really hard to isolate, narrow down what was causing that, but uh, unfortunately to no avail. Um, hopefully it doesn't detract from the actual substance of the interview, which um, I enjoyed so much that we actually had to take a break about a half, an hour and a half um, into the interview. So um, stay tuned for part two and uh, hope you enjoy the first half. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dodgeball Podcast. In this episode, I am finally joined by Edgar Fox. Edgar, how are you doing, man? Good. Glad that we can make it happen. Yeah. Um, I feel like I start every episode with this. Um, thanks for being flexible, man. Um, I know we were supposed to do this on Wednesday, um, the 28th, and then I had to reschedule to today, Friday. So as a result, no episode for this week. But um We'll be getting this bad boy out. Um, I guess by the time people are listening to this, November fifth or let's see, yeah, six. But anyway, um, glad we can make it, man. Um, for Thanks those for that, that what's that? Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. So for those that may not know you, um, why don't you go ahead and just give us a, a quick introduction, um, full name, even though I said it, but team uh, that you're best known for right now, anyway. Uh, Edgar Fox. I play on the East Coast on GOAT. Nice. And you were just on two weeks ago for the recap for the, um, I don't want to say the random, but the the East Coast tournament that uh, Kyle Roth had? Yeah, correct. Kyle has, has been hosting monthly tournaments on mm-hmm. the East Coast. It's kind of a random, a random draw tournament. I guess that was a month ago or so. So I was on with him. Man, yeah. This October started slow, and then it just, like somebody just hit the hit the gas. I feel at least for me anyway. Um, yeah. So and also you you've been on oof man twenty. I think towards the very beginning of twenty nineteen. Um, no, twenty eighteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For um because you guys had had clenched the the East Coast or the East Region champ uh, title right. You guys got the rings, and so we did a team right. interview with goats um, back in the day. And then, um, yep. man, um, I remember, I remember being, um, this is gonna sound weird. I remember being like really impressed with you. Um, cause I, I've known the name for a long time. Um, and definitely want to get into the history, um, of where you're from and, and all that good stuff. But, um, yeah. I just remember thinking, okay, I really got to talk to this guy one-on-one at some point. Um, just to, you know, compare notes, you know, compare like how I came to dodgeball and, and how, how you did in perspectives and all that good stuff. And then I met you. Um, at the Ball State booth on the 2018 championships in Minneapolis. And I was like, yeah, dude, I definitely want to have you on at some point. And then, okay, fast forward two years later, here we are finally. So <laughs> just giving people some, That's uh, right. some context there. But um, That's right. The knee pads, the quality knee pads. Have you, uh, oh, thanks. do you have, how, how many iterations of those have you had now, the Ball of Stays? Um, officially one, we're, talking to brett and and sergio about this because i do have the v2s but not the way i wanted them they're they're more like the v1.5s now so they're like they have the freaking um that nice firm texture um i can't even talk right now but uh, the material that that mesh that keeps them from ripping because one of the biggest problems obviously was people 
slide like the Dickens and they'll just almost set those things on fire. So those, yeah. that material is proven to hold fairly well. Um, but unfortunately what the manufacturer didn't do is they, um, they didn't include the length or the uh, silicone grip um, on around the edges. So it's kind of like not back to the drawing board, but because COVID has been what it is, it's, it hasn't been a huge priority. Um, in fact, it's in, in a warped way. It's kind of been a blessing because now I could take my time and make sure that the specifications are very, very um, accurate and on point. That way the next shipment is going to be the official too. So to answer your yeah. question, I would say fourth iteration at this point. Okay. They've gone I feel some. like, you know, even you, you have even sneakers, sneakers are such a big business, basketball sneakers or any number of things where they have new ones every, it's not even every year now. They'll have the, they'll have many iterations and it's just, it's not unnecessary. It's obviously for business, but I always wondered with something like that, where it's not big business, but you, you've got, you've done your research on, this is what makes a perfect knee pad for dodgeball. And then you make it and then. How long do you give it? How much feedback do you take before you say, okay, uh, it should be a little bit longer. We should have some, a little bit more lateral padding or a little bit more, maybe we try a shell version so you can slide a bit more easy. I always wondered. Yeah. So, I mean, the, that the process was like the perfect knee pad was based on me. Um, and I'm not by any means a slider and that's why the first big change had to be, okay, what about the people that slide for forever? Um, for me, it was just, is it basically, you know, does it, mo does it model the ASICs brand? The volleyball sliders are pretty solid. Um, yeah. minus the sliding of course. And also does it have the, uh, the freaking opening in the back of the knee? Cause I hated that. Um, that was like the only complaint I had about the ASICs that I rocked. So once those were removed and I found a good mold and fit, um, I was like, well, this will last until somebody says otherwise. Um, I, I'm still to this day wearing my original pair that are actually as of this month, officially three years old. So, um, me being a little bit older, I don't slide or hit the ground nearly as much. So for me, they can last, um, three years for, for other people. Um, not so much, um, Tim, uh, actually that, that tournament, the, um, that nationals Tim had approached me and, and said, Hey, what if you made the sleeves longer? I'm like, yes, yes, this is what I want because I can, I can assume what a perfect knee pad is, but the heck do I know? There's so many styles out there. So yeah. once, uh, once people started to kind of give me more feedback on the sleeves, um, that was like a, a no brainer. Like, okay, next time they gotta be longer. Um, it's just been a long time in the making and it really just depends. I mean, if people give me decent feedback, a, a good reason why, and it kind of, I don't want to say jives with others, but, um, I'll, you know, I'll prioritize that. Um, I know people are asking for a harder shell. Um, I know Jake Mason is very, very opposed to some like the six, six, one, uh, BMX biker knee pads that people used to sport. But if I can get away around that where it's, you know, court friendly, that would be like the third and final iteration. And the idea is to make them last as long as possible, you know, spend that $20 on, you know, a drink, on the air, on the air flight, on the flight over or, you know, save your money elsewhere. So yeah. definitely trying Why to go was, for uh, longevity. Jake was opposed to him because it, the, it beats up the court. Yeah. It, it's not a, I don't know like how accurate that is, but you know, if, if you jump in the air and you land with all your weight, um, on a, I guess like, I forget the PVC or, or poly, for the materials called that hard plastic shell, basically, um, it could mm -hmm. dent and nick the courts and some people, you know, considering I ran leagues once upon a time, they're very, very, um, 
they can be very picky about what happens on their courts. And so to just make things easier, right. Jake, I, I don't know if he officially banned them, but I know he's very opposed to them, which makes sense. I mean, we, yeah. we got to keep the, the venues happy. Right. <clears throat> yeah. But, um, yeah, if you're, if you're going to beat up the court, I know I was always, <clears throat> I like the, with the, the shell being able to slide, but I would crack, I'd cr- it'd crack within, if not that night after, two to three games it would inevitably it would crack from dropping and sliding it would just was too costly and usually those those motocross knee pads or the 6.6 ones are a lot more expensive than the standard asic turtle shell or sliders which are 20 bucks or something like that right yeah the 6.6 ones were cool i mean people look like i mean those things look like they hung on to your leg pretty well it was just you know is it going to crack or is it going to hurt the uh the floor and um that's ultimately where the the three is going to be around that kind of um model but i mean shoot at this point probably not till 2023 you know considering how things are going i was i always wondered which knee pad lucas was wearing that's the largest knee pad i've ever seen yeah those are wild i don't know if it i don't know if it was a 661 but it looked even bigger yeah that's like carpenter looking knee pads (laughs) (laughs) um that may be what it is yeah yeah, I'm going to have to ask him. Because um, that's one thing I noticed. Like, what the heck are those things, man? Those are wild looking. But he plays yeah. on tennis courts, I think, or used to. So it's got to be like an all-terrain, you know, like almost military-grade type of protection. And sometimes people will make their – they'll start constructing their own. I know Justin had – he needed a little bit more cushion. So he took – he went to uh, – I don't know if he went to a tailor and had the pad taken out of, a, I think, an ASIC. <clears throat> And he had it sewn onto the back of the the Ballaste ones, so he had double the padding. Hmm. Just because if he was going to drop, and he's a bigger guy, he wanted to. He didn't want to destroy his knees, and and they he loves them. Nice. Yeah, so I wonder mean, if Lucas had created his own. Do you know a Do you know a Brandon Cook by chance? Mm-hmm, yeah. So he had he had suggested something like that where we manufacture like a almost like a plate carrier. Um, or like Molly type type of uh, setup, and then you just decide what insert you want. So if you want, you know, something fairly fairly thin because you're not going to go on your knees a lot, boom, there you go. Or you just swap it out with like a heavy duty pad. Um, you know, and just you figure it out on your own. Like you you choose for yourself. So maybe down the road we'll see. Be cool, customizable. Exactly, it's it's tailored just to you, um, and that would probably be like the best way to to make that happen and make everybody happy. So yeah, always open cool. to it. If you could do, if oh. you could do that and keep the quality, because I know oftentimes I think of the basketball shoes that would have the drop-in lunar lawn insole. Sometimes, if you get, oh, this one's for speed, this one's for power. Sometimes the the base model isn't as quality as if you just had a sewn-in insole. But if you could make a customizable knee pad that still held up, that would be amazing. Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, again, just, I mean. It's pie in the sky dreams, but like the one pair you buy should last you a good long time. So whatever it takes to, to make that happen, that's definitely the goal. Maybe not last forever, but you know, at least you're not burning through them every every three or six months or so. Like it's it's a good brand. That's that's the hope. Yeah, just keeping a low profile, making lots of slides and catches. Exactly. Focus on the game. <laughs> so um yeah, I mean that's so to kind of backtrack a little bit, um, it's kind of cool going into that little ball stay uh, rabbit hole in case people 
were concerned or, or, or not concerned, con- uh, curious or cared, but um, definitely want to make it about. Can on me. What's that? You can venom on me for the plug. Yeah, exactly. If I get any sales, I'll I'll, I'll shoot them shoot them your way. But um, mm-hmm. that's kind of why I wanted you on here too. Like I remember, um, you know, because I, I talked to Justin a lot. Um, you know, he's been an awesome co-host and and uh, running with some episodes of his own. And he'd always talk about like you and him just talking like into the weeds, dodgeball, um, on your long drives to and from tournaments. And I'd be like, man, to be a fly on the wall for that. Um, yeah. It's just something I really want to nerd out with. So, I mean, I guess the good thing is I, I got like one crosswords question. I have my my standard ones, but uh, honestly, the reason why I was such a stickler about um, being able to make sure that we're both in a, in a quiet room is just so we can go wherever this conversation goes. So, I mean, I'll try to stick to the script, but if we veer off again, I mean, that's that's why we're here. So, in case okay. people were, were curious, but um, <clears throat> back to you. So, um established that you play for goat um mm-hmm. what is your current number and why i'm number 12 and that was my number in high school uh this quarterback and in happenstance my birthday is may 12th so the the number was just random in football that was just the number that i got but then since it worked out i think years later i realized oh that's a that's my birthday that's cool and then it just made sense for dodgeball just to keep it Nice. Keep it the same. Unfortunately, I am not a football fan nor a Tom Brady fan, but a lot of people think that it's knockoff on Tom Brady, but yeah, alas, so it is not. You're in uh, New York City? New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. And have you been there your whole life? or? I grew up in the Seattle area. Gotcha. Or actually, to Olympia, Tacoma area. Right. But that's uh, Seattle's the nearest major city. It's about an hour north of where I grew up. So in that, in that region, we moved around a lot. Gotcha. Um, so I was going to ask, um, what, um, what got you, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's start with dodgeball. So what, what got you into dodgeball and, and when? I started in a dodgeball around 2011, 2010, something like that. And I started playing for a rec league in New York city called Zog sports. And I had come out of a personal trainer and I had always played sports growing up in high school. And then in New York, I had gotten into uh, amateur boxing and I'd been doing that for a number of years. And then at some point it's a pretty rough trade on your brain. So I was always looking for something, the next thing to get into. And I tried some of the other sports, but I wanted something that was aggressive and fast paced. Figured I'd pick up kickball or softball, which I tried later in life when I couldn't go as fast and dodgeball. I just seemed like the perfect fit to me. Now looking back, they, they used 10 inch foam balls for the males and eight inch foam balls for the, the females. They're massive foam balls. But that is the dodgeball that I started with. And then I met <clears throat> Eldar Radovicki, who was on Gotham with me. And he, he had been in the NDL scene. So I don't know if you remember him at all. He had played on the um, Chicago. Was it Chicago Stampede was the NDL team? or Chicago Vendetta. Vendetta. Maybe he was on yep. Chicago Vendetta. But he was on one of those NDL teams. And he was in Zog Sports with me. And he had said 
oh, you seem to really like this and you're an aggressive player. You should come play rubber ball, which I had no idea what that meant. So, hmm. so it's, it's just with the kickballs that we used to use. There's this league called Sandlot. So I jumped over there and I loved it. And it changed, it changed everything. I was hooked at that point. Uh, I always liked the game, but Zog Sports was much more about <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to be social, have some drinks, and play a little dodgeball, whereas Sandlot was I'm going to play dodgeball. And, yeah, maybe we'll have some drinks after, but I'm going to play. So I got hooked in at that point. And I guess the local team was called the Gotham Undertakers. So you would have – there's some random tournaments out here. And Power Lords, which is the team Justin Bosch was on. Okay. It was the Hut Hansels, Justin Bosch, Andre, who played on GOAT. And the other team was kind of a random sampling of these guys out of Sandlot, which was Dwitty, Eldar, Sedane, Jason Lee, Brian Burns, Scott Kuner, who plays on Arkham now. And it would just be six guys could go in this one and then the next tournament only three of them can go and they grab some more guys and that was gotham undertakers and then when i had come to sandlot eldar was kind of into it and i had asked him what's what's the deal with the team is there any other team other than this power lords team he said not really people aren't that committed i said why don't we just get a team together and just let's just commit to it and just make it the same team instead of this floating team so we started the team gotham dodgeball and from there that was around the time that NDL was still around, and that was Rob Immel was hosting satellite tournaments. And Elite, I think, had, had been around for a couple of years, but it had been the, the invite only, I think, a season, and maybe another season in between. And then that's when we started with Gotham Dodgeball. I know Team Awesome and Davis were there in the East. So then we started going as Gotham Dodgeball, and then the NDL thing died out, and we had a couple seasons of of Gotham. And then from there, it was a little bit of um, – it started to take on too many people where if someone couldn't make a tournament, another player would get pulled in, and then before you know it, the team had 12 people on it. And it was just not – it was not cohesive anymore, but – people weren't quite committed enough. They'd be committed to go to the tournament, but then when we started getting into, we need to practice, we need to take this seriously, some of the guys would just flake out on it. So I had uh, decided that it'd be best maybe if I just, if I could get a couple of the guys and then start another team. And that's when I'd asked Alfred, Alfred and Dwitty, if they would be willing to, to leave and start another team. And that's what, what Arkham was. And we knew Josh Ty and Jose Aquino from the Big Apple was another rubber ball league. And that's the, uh, it's a, it's a gay dodgeball league in Manhattan. And they're really good players. And they would also be in Sandlot. They would come to Sandlot pickup and then do Big Apple back and forth. So that team started with Alfred Kwan, myself, Dwitty, and then Josh and Jose. And then we had, uh, Flo, Flo Zabakritsky and Emily Baumgartner as well joined the team. Nice. Then I was with them for two seasons and then decided to uh, to leave there and 
start uh i was going to try to initially uh get back with see what was going on with nice which is kind of what gotham became became the nice was their elite name but it was still some of the non-committal guys that weren't sure how, if they were going to make it happen or if they could practice and justin and i throughout all of this always message each other and talk dodgeball and see what's going on and his team in, imploded one year where it was there's was nobody left and it was just perfect timing that he had all his players leave and i was looking for a team and i joined goat and to, this would be this would be season three had it happened that i'd be with goat justin's team imploding being power lords yes okay, so justin yeah. was with power lords for for a while for a long time and then there were some issues with you know some of the guys having kind of a bad attitude and some of the other some of the players didn't want to play with those those guys and i think they just got they got tired of it and and then decided to start was the first iteration of goat was justin it started with james gardy who uh was a new zealander who had played in la and then he came to new york and played a little bit in new york and then stopped playing <clears throat> sal alazio i don't know if that's how you say alazio alazio from the west coast but he had been in new york for years and he had played with power lords and then spencer and lewis who were guys that were in sandlot rec league sports were really into it and committed and then chelsea conrad and dre and dre and uh Sorry, and Anthony Brambola, who was on Power Lords as well. So Dre, Justin, and Anthony from Power Lords. And Sal had played with Power Lords at various tournaments, and then they added uh, Spencer, Lewis, and James Gardy. Nice. So there's there's a lot to uh, now where to start. Um, real quick, Arkham. Yeah. 2015, 2016 timeframe. When you started or um, 20, debuted? maybe even maybe even earlier maybe 20 13 14 or four, maybe 14 15 i don't think into 2016 okay but it was definitely two seasons with gotham and then two seasons with arkham and then it's been two seasons with goat but this would be season three the gotcha. one that's happening currently what could have been or should have been the last year, the last year of dodgeball. Yeah. That's a, which may end up being two last years of dodgeball. Actually. I was actually debating if I wanted to even bring that up. Um, I, I heard Is a it, rumor that worlds got postponed to 2022. Yeah. Oh. I mean, just thinking about it, what are we in now? We're in October. So it's the fall. Yeah. So USA dodgeball yeah. would have to start booking spaces in the next month or two for the spring. That's right. And numbers are going up. I just don't see any gym doing that. And that's on top of I don't I don't imagine Jake would feel comfortable doing that either. So Yeah. We'll and then you have the problem of last year of like, you know, waiting to I'm not saying that they did, but waiting to the last minute to finally book stuff. Um, that was already enough of a headache for them. So mm -hmm. trying to plan stuff in advance so they don't get into that situation. Um that's sobering. Um yeah, yeah, that's tough. It'll be two two years. Well, um, hopefully not, but uh, I guess we'll see. Um, 
going to push pause on that one because I do want to go back to how you know COVID has been treating you. But um, man, there's so much to unpack. So let's go back a little bit to okay. You said you did you did boxing, but you'd mentioned um, the exchange wasn't there. Like, was were you kind of talking about like um, potential injuries or head injuries or what? What took you out of boxing? Oh yeah, the so I had done I'd done boxing for several years, I think five or six years in the amateur circuit. But I was already working as a personal trainer, just starting out. And to be successful in amateur boxing, you have to start traveling. And a lot of the, the guys that are successful you usually are younger. Uh, I was already old at that point. I was 20, say 22 or 23, and I was working. That's considered and old? That's considered old, not in terms of your ability or something that you can't pick up. Right. But usually I was working. So in order, if all of the tournaments are on the weekends and I can't go to Kansas to a boxing tournament because I need to work. I and see. a lot of the younger kids would get uh, subsidized. They get sponsored by USA boxing and they get sent to the tournament. So they get put up in the hotel and everything would be taken care of and all their dues in the gyms are taken care of. So it was a little bit more, it just wasn't, it, I couldn't, I couldn't have maintained a training, personal training business and done all this other stuff. So then it was, I had made my peace with, okay, this is not going to be something then that I delve into for money, but I'm really enjoying it. And I'm meeting all sorts of really cool guys at the gym and I'm learning, working through all that, uh, that stuff that a lot of us young men have in terms of aggression and a relationship with violence. So that was very therapeutic for me. But at some point, you know, when you're sparring and you're sparring several times a week, you are taking blows to the head and you're surrounded in the boxing gym is kind of known as all the, most of the boxing trainers are guys that were pro and then didn't quite make it. And it's almost as if each one of their stories is like the Rocky story or the million dollar baby or something like that, where it's really, it's a, it's a tough sport to not succeed in because it usually means that you took some tough losses along the way. Right. So you see guys in all sorts of condition that maybe managers ran off with money or promoters didn't pay them or they made them take, they didn't make them, but they offered them short, short time to train for fights where they ended up getting pummeled, but they needed the payday. So it really would get used and abused and, starting to see that coupled with I know that I'm not doing this for career I'm doing this for therapeutic reasons I'm doing this for exercise I was able to take the skills that I learned in boxing and transfer it to my personal training business but it was more mostly for the love of competition and getting better and working with these really good fighters but at some point you know year five year six into it and I'm thinking I, I should be aware that the brain is not meant to get hit in this fashion and look for something else. It makes sense. Then, um, um, you get a couple injuries too. Uh, along the way, I, mean, I had a, I had a couple of scratch corneas from getting hit with a glove with my eye open. Yeah. And those are, those are rough. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's wild. Um, cause you know, like, the, I don't know if you've seen the joke where, you know, they'll, they'll talk about NFL 
Like there goes Adrian Peterson, you know, the, the old man's nothing short of a living legend and a, and a medical mystery, uh, being that he's 35 years old and he's still playing. I'm just like, ouch, man. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> that's young to me. Um, but that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, the brain can only handle so much and I, I'm sure at some point it becomes about self-preservation and the, um, never thought about like, you know, the, the who, how you, um, for every boxer that makes it, you know, there's probably hundreds that obviously didn't. And, um, you know, what, what does life look like for, for after that? Um, you know, right. obviously it's, it's easy to think about Rocky. It's, it's a movie. It's a great story. Um, did you, did you like those movies by the way? I wanted to ask that too. Just, Oh, the, for, for the, yeah, I, cer- I certainly saw them before I ever got into boxing. Right. I mean, the first one is the best story. It's the best movie just the story of this guy who all he wants to do is, is make it. That's far more realistic. That's the most realistic of them all because in no, in no way would you ever have a guy that's kind of a club fighter step in against Floyd Mayweather and have a chance to do anything against him. It's right. just highly, it's not, not possible. But in that story in Rocky one, Rocky says, all I want to do is go the distance. Yep. And there's something that's so courageous in that. I mean, that's the whole story of bravery is what is bravery? Bravery is knowing that you could be hurt or you could die, but you're going to do it anyway. So this guy knows he's going to get his ass kicked, but all he wants to do is end the fight on his feet. And that's victory for him. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic movie. And then the rest get into when Stallone started really getting into fitness and possibly some other performance enhancing drugs and got in fantastic shape. And then it became about the fights. The fights were the training montages and the fights. But yeah, the first one as a movie, in addition to the training scenes, is just a fantastic film. Yeah, I love Rocky. Um, not a boxer at all, but I loved the fact that you know he was thirty and um, kind of just going nowhere, and he gets a chance to to do something about it. And I, I just love the story. It's it's so good. Um, I had no idea it was anything of a substance um uh, up until i saw it at at 30 i thought it was um rocky fights mr t rocky fights this russian dude rocky just you know these ridiculous fights um i thought that was a series i had no idea what i was getting in for when i saw the first one um i had oh, seen man. a clip from rocky four i was like huh kind of want to see how this happened but i'm going to start from the beginning and um i saw the beginning and i was like I, I, wow i'm pursuing my commission in the, in the army now because of this movie. Um, it set me on a really awesome path. And, um, I've always wondered, like, especially, you know, as a boxer, if you, well, like, like you said, you saw it before then, right? Were you younger or like a kid or when, when yeah. did you see it? Yeah. I was a kid. I was a kid when I saw it. Gotcha. And, and then, I mean, everything about it, the score, you know, you have so many, it's, it's kind of like it was, it was made in 1976, I think. And that's around that same era as the Pacino De Niro movies where it was, I think it's set in it's just set in Philly, but right. it's that same sort of gritty, dark, dark urban streets. You have this score that's really kind of sad. This guy's just r- walking around. He's he's works for the mafia, collecting debt for people. He's a club fighter. He he falls falls in love with this gal that works at the pet store. It's just the story is is really engaging. Yeah. It's really well written, the musical score, and then you have the boxing match. The boxing match is incidental almost to the story. 
I uh, I remember when they got to the fight, I was like, oh yeah, he's supposed to fight this dude. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And then all the other ones come become, you know, it's the 1980s style, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Van Damme. Oh. These are comic book character guys, and it's just it's a great about period. Yeah, it, it fit it fit for the 80s, but the first one was just really a great film. Yeah, if uh, for those of you that are listening, um, if you're on the fence about Rocky, check it out. It is it is very much a a very worth it movie. Um, I like three then, a lot. Yeah. Club, club. I have, I have a clever length t-shirt that I wear. Nice. It scared, scared the hell out of me as a child. That was, I mean, I let's go into a little Rocky tangent. So did, did you like three? Okay. I feel like that's obviously the first one is the best, but the second one would be three for me. Two is good, but okay. I really like three. Two, Rocky two for me. The whole thing is, when Adrian wakes up out of the coma and says, can you do one thing for me? Mm. And he leans in and she says, when, I mean, every time I could watch that a hundred times in a row. Yeah. And then he goes nuts and starts training for real. This time was yeah. that line for me was brilliantly written, but the rest of it was kind of forgettable. Rocky three, you having him lose, having him kind of become Marvin Hagler always said the, you know, it's tough to get up and train at four in the morning when you're sleeping in silk pajamas. That's kind of Rocky's moment of he's living high in the hog. He's the champ and he's not training hard anymore. And there's this guy in these gyms and boxing gyms inherently are boxing does not exist where I'm from on the, in, in the Pacific Northwest. There are no, it's a very, it's very much an urban sport. You have these gyms sprinkled all throughout cities, but in the country you don't, have boxing i think now you have more mma gyms but so getting to the city i remember getting i, I promise i won't get sidetracked yet, too much no that's, but let's do it man let's get crazy i you know gleason's stair city boxing gym john's i mean they're morris park boxing gym there are 10 to 15 boxing gyms in the new york city area but there wasn't one where i was from so when i got into training and i always liked boxing and i wanted to work out some stuff with violence, but in a controlled fashion and just learn how to fight a little bit, feel more comfortable with it. You could go any number of places for a boxing gym. So seeing that, and, and they're always grimy. That's just what, what they are. They're grimy, grimy places, very dirty, but that's part of the, the appeal of them is that you're in there hitting each other, lots of you know exchange of spit and blood and all sorts of, unsavory thing so it's fitting that the gyms aren't pristine and clean and i remember thinking that seeing clubber clubber lang in retrospect to you the gym was perfect where he was training and then when apollo starts training him they go back to apollo's original gym in la yeah and it's exactly there's nothing shiny it's not pretty it's just time to go to work and get back some of that hunger so i I like it for that I love that. And then the fact that he's like, look at everybody here is hungry. Like he was training. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a show. It was, it was like um, a spectacle. People, he, you know, obviously it's a movie, but they probably charged admission to watch the champ train and he's doing these bogus workouts. Uh, he's taking photos. Like that's why I love that movie so much because he's on top and he fell because somebody out there was not sleeping until he maxed himself out every day and he came straight for Rocky and just beat the living piss out of him. And, uh, right. I love what Mickey says to him. Um, he's like something along the lines of um, uh, the worst thing 
that could happen to you happen to any fighter and that's you got civilized or I forgot what the quote goes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That that's another one that gives me goosebumps. And then Rocky's like in this awesome three piece suit and he just like looks at himself, he's like, he's right. And then uh right. just the fact that a former enemy is now in your corner, your best friend helping you find a different version of you that that still exists. Um I really love that storyline and all those elements to it. But um man, yeah. I might, I might, might do a rewatch you know, it, soon and in, and in boxing too you know it's a it's a very scary thing to get in a boxing ring and you're surrounded by people and even if you're sparring you know you're oftentimes hitting somebody as hard as you can in the face and the body and you can get humiliated in the ring and that's it's a very frightening thing but there's a tremendous amount of respect for the the fighters the boxers afterwards even in sparring where you may not like someone, but just knowing that that person too is getting in the ring and they're willing to be embarrassed in front of everybody and they're willing to be hurt. Uh, usually there's not, there are not too many. That's why you always see boxers usually hug after fights, even after they've been just going at each other in the promotional tour, right? saying the most awful things to each things. other because it's a mutual respect for knowing what it takes to get in there and deal with your fear and train at that level for that long to, to put it all on the line. That's nuts. Um, what's uh, what, what, what drew you into boxing? Like what it, I imagine it takes like a, not a special kind of person. That sounds weird. Um, but I not, not everybody say, wants to do that. So what, what, uh, what was the appeal there? Well, that, that'd probably be another <clears throat> podcast, that, but, <laughs> um, all sorts of dysfunction at home would be the short answer. Yeah. Uh. And I had an unnatural fear of fighting, I think, from, from seeing a lot of uh, probably more violence than I should have seen at a young age. And so my, my interpretation of what it was to fight is what it was like seeing grown men fight. And it scared, scared the crap out of me. So as a child, every time you, know, you get in some little altercation elementary school, my interpretation of what would happen to me is what I saw adults do to each other. So I was petrified of that happening to me. And I became, I became very shy and introverted. And every time I would back down from a fight, I would just feel absolute shame. And, you know, you multiply that over going through elementary school, through middle school, through high school, how many times does someone challenge you to a fight or and the number of times I backed down from it because I was so afraid, I just became, just it bothered me so much. I was just embarrassed to, to look in the mirror. I mean, the talks I would have myself with the high school version of me was just funny looking back on. So when I got to New York and it was, there was an op- opportunity to get into a, a boxing gym, I was, I was all in because I was tired of dealing with that fear, fear of fighting. I wanted to get hit. I wanted to hit people. I wanted to hurt people. I wanted to be hurt and feel, what is this really like? Because I've been avoiding this my entire life. So I just dove dove fully into it. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely a subject for our content for another podcast. But um, <laughs> no, I appreciate you indulging me because that's, that's something I've always thought about. Like, um, I don't consider myself a violent person. Um, especially since I'm, it's kind of weird being in the military, like, you know, should it ever happen? Um, I feel like I'm prepared to cause damage or, or violence if need be, but, um, 
I, I definitely not, uh, one that looks for fights. Um, not saying you do, but, um, when I meet people like that or talk to them, I'm like, I'm always, okay, what, what is it about you that makes you tick? Like, why do you have that edge or that desire to, uh, put yourself through that kind of stuff? Um, but, uh, that was my reason for it. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny too, is on the, on what you just mentioned a couple sentences ago is you, usually people that have fought or been in a lot of fights, usually they're a lot calmer in in daily life and they're not looking to fight because they've been in it or they're in it regularly anyway and they don't want to do it on the street and a lot of times it's just people you know people that are working through something or they're trying to they're just bullies but usually guys that are comfortable with that they're not out there looking for it because they don't have anything to prove it's so yeah there's no need there's yeah usually you will not find prize fighters for the most part out there fighting in the streets like they get they get paid to do that or they just had a sparring session that day where are they going to beat somebody up in the street and get arrested it's just not worth the juice isn't worth the squeeze <laughs> nice um man it's really funny to keep a lower profile hmm. now but you know saying that you know you look at someone like Mike Tyson, who was in a number of confrontations in the street. So uh, that, you know, that was my story of why I got into it. But I also come from a more kind of not rural setting, but suburban setting. But a lot of times, you know, the kids that are drawn to it in, in the city often come from very dysfunctional homes where they don't have the gym is there is their church is that they're coming there after school and they they start living in the gym but they're coming from not oftentimes not the best home life so there's all sorts of stuff there on top of now you're teaching you know these kids to fight and now they have adults if they're good who are trying to get at them and and steer them on these paths um but they're still working through they're often very young and still working through a lot of dysfunction so they get into situations where yeah they may light some people up in the street because <laughs> it's like having a new superpower or something right hmm i was gonna say like so when i when I interviewed uh deanna darns last week um i knew we were gonna go on some tangents so i was like all right i gotta make a tally for every time i say let's bring this back to dodgeball yeah, uh, I think we're maybe at three, but I also kind of okay. don't want to talk about dodgeball at this point. Um, but I mean, there's <laughs> just so much to, again to to dig through, and also um, I haven't heard this that saying in a long time. The juice wasn't worth the squeeze. That's funny. You caught me <laughs> off guard. I was like, that's that's a good one. I, I need to save that for another time. Um, well, I mean, like I said, if we go back there, we go back there. But how does the reason why I kind of brought up the, the boxing portion was you said that you wanted something a little more aggressive and fast pace, and that's where it ultimately led you to dodgeball. So obviously dodgeball is not the same as boxing, but what about dodgeball kind of helps satisfy that, that, that yearning, I guess, or what, how does that translate for you? You get to throw a ball at people as hard as you want, and it, you could throw it at their head and it's in the rule set. And, and it's also, you get plunked, you get plunked with the ball 
at whatever speed it is, and you just got to take it. So it's a fast-paced game in addition to the the contact. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, I would. I, mean, I liked football as well for that reason, for the contact. But most, I couldn't find any tackle football leagues. It was all flag or touch football, which wasn't really my speed. I, I wanted the I wanted the hits. So the physicality had, of it. Yeah, I had initially started in foam, which is was not that really, and they also discouraged headshots. But when I <laughs> got into sand sandlot. They also discourage headshots, but then naturally, I don't know if it's like this out in Arizona, but the, the group of people that are the better players in rec league start to say, okay, let's go. Can us 10 guys and however many gals want to sign up for this craziness, just go to this place and start throwing, forget the headshot stuff, just throw it at our heads. We want, we want to play like that. So that was, that, that was fun. That got me hooked where, you have any number of aggressive people that wanted, they were fine with the black eyes. They were fine with the bloody noses or whatever you got. So I was like, okay, this is, this isn't boxing, but this is, this is satisfying my, my aggressive urges. Nice. That's mis- sublimating it. It's a good, good outlet. Um, I was just laughing. Cause like, <laughs> I, I'm already picturing you like ready to, to go full combat with somebody. And so when you're like, yeah, you know, the foam league kind of frowned on that and the rec league kind of frowned, like that was just kind of a funny, uh, yeah. Funny way you put that. Which, and, uh, uh, it, and, it, uh, and just, to, so I don't sound like a complete maniac. It's, it's obviously better for their business model to not have people that want to take people's heads off or play that aggressively because most people don't. And most people are more, I don't know if it's more well-adjusted or not that aggressive, but you know, you have enough people, you have a percentage of people, most of who probably play in tournaments that know they want that competition. It's not even, I'm not looking to throw people's head, just if anything, it's a lower percentage shot if someone can duck it, but it's more of just, I want to compete as hard as I can against somebody playing as hard as they can. I don't like the, you know, come on, we're just here for fun. And you know, if they catch it, they catch it. It's no big deal. Well, it's kind of, that doesn't interest me. I would rather just do what I can do against someone doing what they can do as hard as they can. And, you know, winning is beside the point, even though it's nice to win. It's just pushing yourself to your limits and seeing what you can do. And, you know, obviously rec, rec leagues have a different MO, which is to grow the business and get people in and be inclusive and, you know, have as many people as you can. And that's not going to jive well with people that are out there playing hard all the time. Yeah, it sucks Hence that isn't... tournament dodgeball works well. And I was gonna say it sucks that you can't. Um, there isn't enough growth right now where you can have enough people that want to go at a ten all the time during league, and people that just want right. to you know dip their feet in and, and kind of wade the pool, so to speak. Um, yeah, and it's hard Ari, to like. Ari had done that a little bit. He had created. He had he had um, been very good about reaching out to the competitive players because it was it was hurting his business model in the pickup sense where a lot of that, the tournament level players for lack of a better term would scare away the people just coming in. Yeah. Cause you come in there and people are wailing the ball off the wall and above each other's heads and talking trash and all that. So he started, he had several rounds of giving the elite, uh, the elite, the, the tournament players a space to play, but then it, he kind of ran into flakiness problems where, 
everyone talked a good game, but maybe they would only come two weeks out of a seven week season or something like that. And he always ended up losing money on it, but he, mm. he tried that. It just, the flakiness of people, they, they just weren't as committed. Well, kudos to him for trying. I mean, I, I know it's, yeah. it's hard even, um, with our rec league now, nowadays, like we have Andrew Ketchum, who's arguably the best player in the world who it doesn't matter what he does. Like he can throw a ball at you and it, he could have take half off still, whether it's, I doubt it's on purpose ever, but like you can hit somebody that's brand new in the face and then they didn't ever want to come back. And it's like, it's hard telling somebody who's used to competing at the highest level, who wants to get that time in, who wants to play their best to take it easy. Least he take it easy and then gets out as a result. Like it's, it's, it's hard to turn that switch off, but you kind of need right. to, if you're in a rec league, you kind of have to see the bigger picture and be like, all right, I'm not going to throw hundred miles an hour at this, you know, um, this guy, this is like his sort of fourth game or first or second season. Um, that's, that's the, that's the right. unfortunate part about it right now. Maybe someday, you know, we'll have enough where we can have like an elite like league, like they do in LA and in, in LA. But, um, yeah. Well, you know uh, what we tried to do, um, in when we would just go to pick up at Sandlot is, but it always ends up biting you in the butt is we, the, the tournament players would always kind of have a, an unspoken agreement that we're not, we don't throw at players that we don't know. So I'm not even going to bother throwing at someone that I don't know. It's just going to be, you just go after the other tournament level player. Right. And you just catch, you just catch the rec league players that are just kind of new. You just don't even bother throwing at them because it's going to become an issue where, you know, I've even thrown at people, you know, people's legs, but if you put any mustard on it with the 8.5, you know, you can leave bruises on people and things. So it's, it's better just to stick to just playing the tournament level players and worry, you know, maybe dodge or just catch the other rec league players, but just don't even throw at them if it's just pick up. Yeah, that's, uh, you see that too. I mean, you'll see, um, catch and Dylan going ham on each other and uh it's kind of cool because it's 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 cool to have that kind of like control they're not doing that to somebody else and when they have to they'll take out that other player um so it's good to see that more of that happening but i, I just remember like back in the day um you know 2010 11 people like uh chris bell would just light people up I'm like it's like dude like what do you get from this like let that person grow give, give them a chance to like get better and then you can have an, a worthy opponent um you're not proving anything by beating up on these these new players. But, yeah, uh, yeah. What's the yeah. exactly? What's we, what's we, the satisfaction? Just get out the the other you on the other side of the court. That's much more satisfying. Yeah. The, the downside be... to that is because you've made this, you have this agreement that you're not going to throw at the rec, the regular rec league players, but they're throwing at you still. So you forget that this person off to the left somewhere has a ball. So Still then you're just you. going up and you've left them alone and then they'll hit you with something cause you were not paying attention. But that's, that's the only downside with that, that model. Yeah. But I mean, it gives you better court awareness. So it just kind of helps you yeah. train for the, for the long run. Um, so I wanted to ask, what was your, like your first experience of dodgeball? Um, was that like grade school, high school, your, that first rec league that Great. you came into or? Greg's grade school, we still played. And did you, I mean, did you enjoy dodgeball back then or do you remember what that was like for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun throwing. I loved it. I, and I think we used the same ball. It was the four square slash kickball slash oh, yeah, dodgeball. So you use the big rubber ball. 
And that's what New York had. Big Apple now incorporates some no sting, but they were 8.5. Sandlot Sports is 8.5 rubber. Sandlot Sports came from, I think, New York Social Sports, which I never played in, but a lot of the the Power Lords Gotham guys played in that, and they left New York Social Sports when New York Social Sports moved away from 8.5 rubber and started using foam. And that's what started Sandlot Sports, was 8.5 foam. And now Ari runs Sandlot Sports, has all ball types. He has the cloth ball, he has the no sting, he has the 7-inch foam, I believe, and 8.5. What's... Um... Since we're on different ball types, what's your what's your how would you rank your top three? Eight point five is number one, two, and three. I'd say. You know, I'll take it. <laughs> I figured I, I had a feeling you'd answer at least. Obviously, eight point five be number one. Um, I'd I'd say I would answer yes, eight point five number one, and then we can go into why that is. I think that's a good conversation to have. Um. No Sting, I find, is more satisfying to throw and on and on on the kill side. But the issue I have is sometimes the ball is so inconsistent, whether it's inflation or it's it's warped and, and has a little bubble on the side or something. So right. I, I at least find if the seven inch foam ball is consistent as long as it hasn't been ripped, but they rip within a match or two. I find. So then you're dealing with a wiffle ball on, on top of it. On top of an already difficult to ball. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I had messaged Frankie this question the other week is what is the rule on squeezing the foam ball? How, since you can't technically pinch it, I suppose you could, but you'd probably rip it. So you squeeze it. How much can you squeeze the seven inch foam ball before it's illegal? How do you, how do you monitor that? And what do you say? Because you na- you naturally have to squeeze the ball to hold it. So how much pressure? How do you, how do you even control how much pressure you can put in? And how do they control for that? I mean, it seems at least with the the eight point five and the no sting, it's a it's a rule of when the rubber touches rubber. So when you fold it over, that's illegal. You can still clamp it. You can still depress the ball. And it still is going to have a waffling motion a little bit. You're going to have a little bit more dip and dive to it. But then with the seven, the seven inch foam, there doesn't seem to be a consistent rule on you can depress it X amount before. Is it any any movement that they they can call you on it? So that was that confused me. If there's, I'm not sure if you know anything that's a set rule on that. I don't. I've just I've I've seen people like just pack a foam ball into their hand to the point where it's, they're like holding a sponge and it's just more comical because they throw it and it's just like this God awful looking knuckleball and the foam is just trying so hard to regain its shape. It's like not even worth, uh, it's not even worth what they're doing. Um, but I, I can't, I'm actually trying to think if I've ever seen somebody clamp a foam ball or if there's ever, ever any way to actually manipulate it. Um, cause like you said, you, you pretty much just tear it open, but you shouldn't even need to like the, those things are so easy to move um, on their own. Um, I can't imagine people do that. Have you have you tried seen, or have you seen? I mean, certainly some guys can get a lot of movement on that ball, right? But I think it's somewhere in between. So if you fully turn it into a sponge in your hand, it's going to be a dead ball 
and it will move, but it's just going to be, it's an obvious, that'd be an obvious way to control for, okay, you can't throw, you can't completely ball, squeeze all the air out of it. But if you put a little bit of squeeze into that thing, it certainly forks and dips. Yeah. I think at that point it just becomes more about, um, like grip, just like, you know, pitchers would do so with, uh, the way they, you know, put the place their fingers, um, and hand strength. So maybe that's how you get away with more movement. I don't, I don't think necessarily you have to manipulate the actual structure or, uh, shape of the ball like you would pinching or, or clamping or what have you. I think, uh, take more of a pitcher's approach to get that movement. Um, I know. Oh, good. Oh, so I was going to say, so 8.5, my whole spiel on that would be with 8.5, I looking at what I, what I think the, the biggest selling point for dodgeball, the most exciting play in dodgeball to me is the catch. And it's a catch when it's two, three, or four V one. And someone gets a big time catch off of their face or their chest. And you hear the impact of the ball. So the impact of the 8.5 is more exciting to hear. And this is from a spectator standpoint, purely. So if the, if we say the sport is about entertainment, so if you want a sport to grow, it's about viewership and that's it. How many people want to watch this thing? And to me, you're going to get the most eyeballs. If you have the, the biggest sound of the ball is exciting when it slaps off somebody, it's a bigger ball. So it's easier to track on the screen. Yep. The, you're going to have, uh, the only downside I could see is sometimes, at least the way that the rules are set up now, is that it seems to be it's throw, huddle, throw, huddle, throw, huddle, throw, huddle. So it becomes repetitive. But that could be an issue of, like they do at Worlds with the clock. You could change it if it were on the clock. And then at certain segments when you're behind, you have to really turn it up. to. Uh, so that could change the dynamic of the game. I think the, the throw, huddle, I used to be really frustrated with that because I, I used to in tucson we would we would be more um more biased towards open gym where it's you know as long as the sides are even don't care if it's 20 on 20 or 30 on 30 um i just love that chaos and we'll dump out as many balls as possible and you know develop a healthy sense of paranoia and you're good to go and mm-hmm. uh you know we'd come up to phoenix and they'd play a much more structured um slow down version where you would start to see more huddles and more um just strategy and it would frustrate the heck out of us um until we started playing with elites and saw that that's just the next evolution and when you're looking at the huddle throw huddle throw like it starts that way but at some point you know one team just breaks complete discipline or there's an advantage that one team finally has over the other and then you know for that five seconds a lot of chaos happens and that's so exciting to like watch ref and even spectate in or play in so yeah, i mean i feel like is. yeah i feel like that that huddle throw huddle throw gets uh somebody who's not familiar with dodgeball doesn't know what to look for it slows it down for them to actually be able to to watch and and get an idea of who's you know who's the big gun who's uh calling the plays you kind of give them a chance to actually follow the game before chaos happens mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of my take on that but okay the- i mean that certainly is that's a legitimate that's a legitimate point I also think the since you can so all those those variables of where you mentioned it, it at some point it breaks off in a couple of 
you get a couple of really quick plays. I feel like in foam, seven inch foam, rarely do you have at, at the level uh, where, at the higher level, where after some of those quick plays, someone is going to just drop and reel in a big time catch. And you have, because you have more catches in 8.5, it's more exciting to watch. You can track yeah. the ball easier because it's not moving as fast and it's also a bigger object. I feel like it's kind of it's similar to hockey. When you're watching hockey on the screen, it's very tough to follow the puck. I mean, some people, you, you just can't track it. And I feel sometimes you lose the ball the on, on seven-inch foam, and you just don't have as many catches. So it's not it's not as exciting to me where you get some, some great plays, you get some great dodges, but you just don't have those big-time catches that, are the most exciting play in dodgeball to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, man, I'm thinking back to like 2006 when uh, Ed Prentice did the first like professional dodgeball season. And um, to his credit, he, he dumped in a ton of money um, on very high quality sports. Like I couldn't tell you what the making model was, but you know, these are cameras that you would see at any sporting event. And um, it was, four four 8.5 rubber balls and then two stingers and good luck seeing anything happen with the stingers like the cameras had a hard enough time following just the 8.5 ball and just uh-huh. trying to think of like the evolution of um like camera angles um now most of our footage are our highlights are on footage obtained from a gopro at one angle only um uh-huh. right but obviously yeah the bigger the ball the the more you're going to be able to pick up from, from a spectator standpoint. And I'm trying to think of some of the world games I saw last year. Um, if you're going to ask me what my favorite plays were, it's, it was one where page was uh, going up against two Australians. Um, Cause you can tell exactly what was happening. Um, it's, it goes to that, what you're saying about like that clutch cash that we're hoping to see. And then it was also Brenda, her one V four, but you can very, easily see what's happening like you see her cock back throw okay hit somebody um but it's not like that running gun type stuff like you see somebody jump and then they walk out like okay i guess they got hit um it is hard to follow and it's it's just hard for i think what, what, what the reason why i brought up ed was I, I feel like trying to bring dodgeball to the spectators is a big enough feat already when you're working yeah. with something like foam that's just making it even more difficult so Long-winded way of saying, I totally agree. I think 8.5 is what spectators want, they expect. Um, most of us have that seared in our memory from gym class, um, whether you were good at it or not. Um, people, for whatever reason, like that violent crack noise. They want that satisfying hit. And then um, aside from the few moments where teams break out into an all-out battle, um, like you said, those those clutch catches at the end, like it's 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 exciting to see like is is this person going to save their team is he going to make that clutch catch or is he or she going to make that clutch catch so right and you get the big you know what was it the uh when uh Ketchum and Kreider were on there where i think Ketchum was saying Brody likes 8.5 cuz he likes the big sound <laughs> the big I mean, sound that's a that's a big part of it yeah. is that's ex- that's exciting to to see as a spectator when you just hear the thwack of the ball off of somebody's body and then they can still even make that catch. But I think, you know, as a sport to, we have the two, we have the two camps where is it the sport is, are we talking about growing the sport for spectators and what, what do people enjoy about sports? Usually it's 
it's the speed of the sport, um, the aggressiveness of the sport, whether it's boxing or MMA or football, um, massive dunks in the NBA. I mean, it's it's the speed and it's the power. Yeah. And well, I think with a seven inch foam ball, it goes faster. Yes, but you you know, watching watching at at the highest level, you see so many throws that you can barely see, and then you see people going out. Like I guess that hit him. I think that hit him because he's leaving the court. Yeah. But you just don't get as many. Oh, that's there's no doubt. I saw that hit and that lit him up, and that was fun to see. I'm a... so, from a spectator sport, uh, spectator point of view. I think 8.5 is would be more popular to to grow. But if we're talking about what ball type is more inclusive, that more people can throw, and that you could start with kids in a grassroots level, then that's obviously not 8.5. So I think it just yeah. it deter it's it's what it's where you want to start from. Do you want to focus more on purely spectators, or do you want to focus on no? We need to get a ball type that everyone can throw, and we're going to have the biggest pool of people starting to play and go from there. So I think it's just where you want to start from. Yeah, where are your priorities, and um, I think we're we both in agreement. If if it's for spectators to fall in love with and cheer and root on it's 8.5 if it's to grow the sport yeah absolutely foam that's uh i think there's a lot of people that would probably agree with that um i want to ask you something well, I, I hope this uh oh good um i just wanted to just if we were to draw this to its conclusion and said okay so imagine dodgeballs now people are choosing to play dodgeball instead of taking a baseball scholarship and it got to that level oh man you're gonna have Imagine major league arms throwing a seven inch foam ball. So that thing is going, I don't know what it'd go, nine, 90 miles an hour, say, 95 miles per hour. You're not going to have any catches. You, you just, it won't happen. And still with the 8.5, I'm not sure what, uh, you know, if, if someone throws that in any, say, hard throwers, say, throw from mid 50s to, mid 60s. So then you get someone throwing that thing mid 60s to mid 70s. It's it's going to be flying and it's going to be very aggressive, but you're still going to be able to get some catches at the highest level. Right. And I I just think then foam dodgeball when it's the best athletes playing, it's just going to be you you certainly won't see the ball flying and nobody is going to catch a single thing. Hmm. And it just, I think, would become a, a staler game. It's just throw. I, I don't, I can't tell if it's hitting him. I don't even see the ball moving, and and it's moving too fast at that point for you to even actually dodge because it's coming in at ninety miles an hour, with some movement on it. I mean, nobody's going to get a, a single catch on that. It's a crazy thought that, um, you know. Because we're starting to see, you know, more younger kids come in um, with some pretty incredible uh, talents and and arms, um, but they're not, dare I say, like they're still scarier people to come, right? Like kind of like you said, if somebody accepted a scholarship to play dodgeball, that means they've been training for it for years, so that by the time right. they come in at twenty two years old, they're you know they're killers. Um, that's, that's an interesting concept to think about. Because um, even now, like we we're just right. talking about, it's it's hard to track this ball from a spectator standpoint. So imagine putting that ball into, um, the hands of some that would be playing pitcher in college. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. We're still the people that have day jobs that are kind of playing at dodgeball 
and we're doing it and we're training in our spare time and we're, you know, the, the best of us are athletes at some level, you know, some college level athletics, but it wasn't dodgeball. Yeah. I mean, imagine even better athletes where they've been training for dodgeball their whole life. It'd be like little league. I mean, it would just be ridiculous. That's a crazy thought. There'll be no more, I think, 35 and above is playing in the same ring no. as these kids. <laughs> yeah, we'd be we'd be in the Silver Sneakers League. Yeah, I'm going gonna to start one, by the way. Um, but we, we can end that towards <laughs> towards the very end. Um, what, what I wanted to ask you earlier was, um, just real quick on the spectators, because I just want to know if this made sense. When I was talking to Eric Tillman, um, ironically, on the first episode of this, or on the first, yeah, first episode of this podcast um, three years ago, he had mentioned that football had an issue with spectators um back in the day um it's like you know 1980s like black and white era um because um it wasn't filmed as, as it is now what uh, i guess what they did to get people to figure out what's going on with all this chaos was they centered around one person like one person was a spect or the protagonist they they made it like a linear story and so they focused on the quarterback which we think about it now like well duh why wouldn't they but if you can imagine watching football from a different angle and the quarterback's not the focal point, um, I can imagine it, it would be hard to follow, but they changed that. So I would wonder if if there's been a solution presented or if there could be something that could be done about dodgeball, like who are the protagonists? Is there such a thing? Or are you just focused on, you know, whoever's calling the huddle or who has the, you know, who's the star player of that team? Um, I don't know if you have any comments on that, but that was, that was one thing that I like to bring up because that was uh, – that really changed the way I looked at football when, when Eric had mentioned that. That'd be tough because, it, I mean, my initial thought is, well, when you have the burden ball, that that would be a, a starting point to kind of center around the person with the burden ball. On a four-ball possession, you know that burden ball is probably going over. That's a good chance, yeah. On a three-ball three possession, it doesn't mean anything because someone could just try to duke you and throw one of the off um, one of the other colored balls, but not really. Cause some people run their offense through their corners. Some people will just traditionally go through the middle. Um, I think just having enough cameras where you have the, the best camera angles I've seen is still from afar, the long distance shot where you have middle court and slightly above the player's heads. So you could see anyone going up to the line and you can see the entire opposition. Right. And then being able to swap between the, those two camera angles on, depending on who's an offense or defense, and then having that kind of that, that camera at the fifty-yard line, where on both sides, from both angles, where you could that would be your re, replay camera, where you would be able to show what happened on that play that just passed. But I think at live speed, that that wouldn't work because it's going to be moving too fast. So you would use those two camera, the two camera angles uh, in the middle of the court above players' heads, and then the replay camera would be the one on the 50-yard line, and you would have it pointed. You'd have one for both teams so you could catch all the action, and that would be the replay camera. I think replay camera would probably make a huge difference. Um, like you take you know, a game, somehow make it last, what, 22 minutes, so it – qualifies for you know actual film or, or television and you fill that with instant replays um because you know if we're looking at like an elite match okay best two out of three 
hardly gives you hardly hardly gives you any time to give a crap about this team that you're watching. Like there might be a good hit. You're like, okay, cool. What's next on YouTube? But um, you focus on a team long enough, you start to you know identify with some personalities. Like, oh, I really like this guy. Or this guy moves really fast. Or, this guy throws awesome. Or, this guy jumps high. I'm gonna root for this person. You start to get an yeah. idea of like who they are. Um, I think that's yeah, that might be worth worth looking into down the road. Um, definitely in hypotheticals right now. But uh, wanted to um, shift gears a little bit and go back to because you mentioned imagine somebody training for dodgeball. So, you know, all of us, there's not a single person out there that's being paid to play dodgeball. Um, but I feel like this last year, there's been an increase in people that are training for dodgeball, you know, on their spare time, either getting personal trainers or, um, in Brenda's case, being one and sharing her information with other people. Um, I was going to mention Brianna um, London's uh, YouTube series on how to, you know, hone your skills, how to throw um, a lot of stuff that works for her. Um, I'm going to go on a a whim and and assume you train for dodgeball. Like, do you incorporate that into your, your training at all? Or, I mean, how do you, like, how do you stay in dodgeball shape? The, I certainly throw a lot. So I think the, Throwing is is obvious for the endurance of the arm. Not even necessarily the power that can come from from different things, but the endurance of the arm grip. You know the the fatigue that you would get in your form from gripping a lot. Um, if it's a if it's eight point five, and accuracy obviously is the is is the main thing for throwing. But right. with the other training, yeah, I work out all the time, and I I make sure that I have. It's not dodgeball specific, but if I do a lot of hit stuff, I make sure that I'm incorporating a lot of lateral explosive moves in there. Um, weight weightlifting, uh, whether it's Olympic lifting or it, you're just you're just doing deadlifts. You're, you know, if you're holding hundreds of pounds in your hands, that strengthens your fingers, that strengthens the tendon in your fingers, that strengthens your forearms. So that's going to help you grip a dodgeball and get a good clamp on it. And your the, the explosiveness in the legs obviously is going to help you with the, the power on your throw. I mean, if the throw starts from the ground up, remember uh, pitchers and the MLB pitchers always talking about throwing with their legs, right? which to me is crazy to think about, but they're just referring to it starts from the ground up. You know, start the kinetic chain, it, the motion starts from your feet and goes all the way up. So you're obviously not just focusing on arm strength because the arm strength is paltry compared to your core and your legs. So I'd say I focus more when I throw on the technique of throwing and making sure that I'm incorporating my full body, my core, and then my workouts are, are diverse and they're, they have explosiveness in it. Um, lots of sprints, lots of Tabata or hit training and lots of weightlifting. And, you know, I, I box a lot still. I'll hit 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 the bags and I'll spar with guys. So there's a lot of core in that, and working some of the same endurance muscles. Where you know you may play well for an hour, but as we all know, tournaments go all day long. <laughs> yes, so do. yeah, I liked uh, Nate's line from the podcast you had with him, Kreider, when he had mentioned. And it's obvious, but I think a lot of people don't realize it is the championship match is always the last match. So that means that 
you need to be sharp and able to perform how many hours into this activity. So it's not even so much about power as it is about endurance, having, having the sort of conditioning where you can perform all day long. Yes. So, yeah, I have a very uh, thought out workout routine and it certainly has, you know, it has dodgeball in mind, but a lot of it isn't specific dodgeball moves, but the conditioning and the strengthening aspect certainly translates to dodgeball. Gotcha. And you, so obviously you'd be trying to be in peak physical condition, even if dodgeball wasn't even a thing anymore. This is still just your lifestyle. Yeah, it's very much my lifestyle, right? And if dodgeball exactly. benefits, then awesome. Exactly, right? Gotcha. Yeah, I, I happened. To, I had that lifestyle, and I happened to find dodgeball because it fit that lifestyle, versus the you know the other way around, where I've changed my routine to fit dodgeball. It just so happens that you know it's it's aggressive. The the biggest thing that I had to adjust to was that going all day long is is clearly a highly unnatural thing to do. Most sports don't. I mean, you play for a couple of hours uh, at, at most in most sports, unless I'm missing unless I'm missing some major sports, but you're not going. I mean, who plays? I think that's why you can kind of get into, you know, a lot of people talk about the, you know, the drinking that goes on at tournaments or people start messing around when it comes to what had historically been the co-ed division. I think a lot of that too is just people are have given their best. I mean, how long would we play 8.5, the open division for? Is that four, four hours or something like that, five hours? That might be all that people have in them to perform their best. So when they get to the second half of the day, they're starting to get tired. Right. And they just met. How many times can you have an adrenaline dump where you're up and then down, up and down, up and down? And then, you know, people are just peter out. You see people falling asleep on the sidelines and, who knows what they're doing with their nutrition where they just don't have any sugar in their body anymore. And I think a lot of people at that point are just, I, I could go home now. I'm ready to go home after this. So, Oh, we have a whole nother division. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, you see it in, um, you know, the classic, um, I mean, wrong reasons, but you'll see it in Sin City. Um, cause people are just like, okay, I I'm gassed. Like I don't even want to come back tomorrow. And the people do come back tomorrow are, they're already spent just from playing dodgeball, but if they went out drinking that night um, or partying, which I mean, that's what you do at Sin City for these these uh, these tournaments. It's uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a tall order. Um, you know, with with Elite and Mark boasting X amount of games per per team. I mean, th those are freaking marathons, and um, I know that people will get flack if they say, "Well, I don't take Coed seriously." Opens my division. Um, I never, I never thought of it though, the way you put it, where it's like, maybe that's all they have and that, that there's a reason why they're playing co-ed, but it's not as important to them because they already spent everything that they had during open, open division. And now I think the change is going to be, can I go the entire way and give both divisions, um, hundred percent. And that's, I was gonna say earlier, like, um, you know, take, um, take like the last year's elite champions, um, and put them against 2012. I mean, I imagine how much of a slaughter that would probably be because of the conditioning that's, that's been uh, set now as, as a, as a standard. Um, mm -hmm. 
I mean, and you can do that with pretty much anything. Like you go back to like the NDL days, like the, t- the toughest rise team uh, probably couldn't hold a candle to the current rise team or what, what used to be the current rise team because the bar has right. been continuously set. Um, yeah. And you're, and you're constantly evolving and you're basing like all of us, you know, that take it seriously. If you're watching film of players or teams from seasons pr- prior, so you're, you're evolving your game to, you're laying your current game and your plan on what was, has come before. So like most sports, there's evolution. You can't compare LeBron James to Michael Jordan or Michael Jordan to Russell before him. I mean, it's like they're, cause they're taking from what came before you. So it naturally is going to improve as it should, but it's kind of, it's unfair to then say, well, this team or this guy from today played this guy from the eighties. Like, well, that's not quite how that works, but yeah, I, um, so we, uh, obviously I mentioned catch him. Um, I train with this trainer. Um, so does, um, Tina who's, um, come a long way. Um, but it's funny cause we were talking about it. Um, that remember I said earlier about the rumor about worlds not happening. I heard that from, um, uh, from Tyler, um, he had said catch him when he came in one day. He's really bummed because worlds didn't, didn't happen. And he had mentioned that Isidro was, um, you know, do you know who Isidro is? Uh, yes. I'm yeah. just like naming people, assuming you know them. Um, so Isidro, um, obviously a great player. Um, who knows what COVID's done, um, as a result, but he was looking to start training, uh, at least once a week with Tyler. And, um, when they found out that worlds, um, was postponed he just decided nah i'm not gonna get in shape this year i'm just gonna wait until the following year and i was kind of excited because i was like yes now now we're starting to see more uh of people that are going to trainers asking hey how do you get me better trained for dodgeball um do you foresee anything like that happening um as a trainer like do you think we'll see a day where we're people are start coming to you saying hey how could you develop my legs or how could you work my technique or build that endurance um to be better it, it would have to get so much bigger i think for that to happen right. i mean obviously i new dodgeball in new york isn't as big as it is where you are and it's not as big as it is in la um so you may have like if you're saying you and the cedro and ketchum and tina you know some people is it it's cactus dodgeball is that your league out there yeah it's the that's the that, rec league here. That you have, you know, a handful of people that are specifically training for dodgeball. But I think for that to happen as a more regular thing, it'd have to get a lot bigger. But there's certainly, I mean, if people are just training, for, a lot of the styles uh, of training right now anyway do fit what dodgeball is. Dodgeball's it's a throw sport, and you get a lot of, you need a lot of explosive movement, but then you also need to have endurance to do that all day long. So there certainly are things that would translate to dodgeball, even if they're not dodgeball specific that a trainer could work in. Yeah. I mean, that's, I can't speak for, for Tina catch him. Obviously he was, um, she's giving way... a low profile. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think she's, I've mentioned her a lot more this season than ever before. Um, it's, it's, man, it's one of those things. It's like, what, who would be talking about if this season actually freaking happened? Um, 
I've known her for a long time. So it's, it's just one of those things is like, man, cause I don't know if I can talk about like what team she's supposed to be on. Ah, that's a rabbit hole all the way down. Never mind. Um, well, obviously, like for me, seeing Tyler was was also. I, I just need to get in better shape. I just need somebody to push me because I I just respond better to that environment. Um, Ketchum weighed so much more. I, I feel like I can say that now without getting my butt kicked. But he was very heavy, out of shape dude. Still very good on the dodgeball court. But um, you know, he. I I feel like it's still fair to say that he's training to maintain being the best at at dodgeball um, with, with Isidro, him just choosing now nah, worlds isn't there. So I'm going to opt out. It's like, ah, okay. We're not really quite there yet, but um, yeah, I guess you're right. We'll probably have to dodgeball probably have to get a lot bigger for you to fully commit to uh, going that far. Um, man, the, what'd you call it earlier? The, the ghost season, the, uh... Oh, the lost, was it the, the lost season? Yeah, I, I would. The season that never was. Yeah, exactly. Do you do you know uh, Sergio Leone by chance, or you know of him? Yeah, yeah. So, so we talk a lot, and I, I call this like the phantom season. Like it just never, just never happened. Um, so close. Um, man, I want to ask now about COVID. Um, let's take a quick break because I know we're like I don't really care that we're at the 130 mark but okay all right so that was part one of the two-part interview that i had with uh, edgar fox and edgar thanks so much man for being uh, so flexible um as you can tell this was something that i was very much looking forward to and um i'm just looking forward to uh part two being released uh most likely either the wednesday or friday following uh this drop dates um at the time of this recording i am in day four four, three of a five day, uh, signal training exercise. So just having the time of my life, um, sucks to be you, uh, future Steve. But anyway, um, if you're still with me, thank you so much for doing so. Have a great uh, rest of your evening, a great rest of your week, a great weekend, and we'll see you soon. Let's, uh, let's take a real quick break. Um, I'm hearing a lot of like clinging, I think. Um, it's not happening right now. I don't know if it's static or not static, but like if something's hitting the mic or. Oh, maybe. Let me see. Let me, let me know if this was it. Silence. Is that it? No. No. It almost sounds like a cup of ice, like almost. Hmm. You know, people like have like a cup of ice and they're just kind of like swirling it around. Swirling it around. Maybe I was, I could have been, maybe it was the chair. I thought it was the pen. I, if I was clicking a pen. No. Are you, uh, um, nothing now? <clears throat> it's quiet now. Are you on like, uh, Bluetooth or something or? I am, I am on my mobile and, but not, not Bluetooth. Okay. There it is right there. Uh, you just heard it? Yep. There, there it is again. It might just be the it might just be the connection. We just have to push through it. Let me. Maybe it's the table. <clears throat> if I'm leaning on the table, maybe if I push away. Okay. Let me touch the phone. Any nothing now? Now it's uh. Keep talking. Um, talking away. I'm playing with the headphone jack. 
touching the phone. I think it was the uh, table. Maybe I was leaning on a squeaky table. You said you were touching the phone jack? I just was touching the phone jack now. Okay. And right now I'm touching it and nothing. Yeah, I think that I think that took maybe it was the table, like Okay. I must have been leaning on the table. Gotcha. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry man. about that. No, it's it's all good. Like, no, you can't drive. You can't be on the table. Don't move. Eyes forward. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just no no fidgeting. Yeah. Stop moving. Don't even blink. I can hear it. Um all right. So uh <clears throat> we'll resume in <clears throat> excuse me, three, two, one. <clears throat> 